Hey there, everyone. So do you ever get tired of the same old ways of seeing things? Do you ever get the urge to cut through the world of everyday surface appearances and look for the light that's rare in the depths? Well, then maybe, just maybe, the wisdom of podcast is for you. Because in this podcast, we explore great works of philosophy and literature and art and try to pull out of them what's most interesting and invigorating and inspiring. Whether they come from the works of Plato, or Dostoevsky, or Picasso, here we explore ideas that move mountains and rock the soul. So come join us, won't you? Come worship at the altar of ideas, and come celebrate the dancing of thought. And don't be afraid of the leaping sparks as you can be certain of one thing, they will kindle the light inside of you. Welcome to the Wisdom of. Coming up today, Herman Hesse's Siddhartha. I just wanted to to start off with some weird advice. It was specifically advice for future parents, but the thing is, we did end up hiring a firm to to look at our podcasting metrics, like the kind of demographics we have. And frankly, I'm not sure how how accurate the results are. First, the guy we hired because he fit within our eight dollar budget. This guy, he was a bit strange. He advertise himself as what I can't even remember a purveyor of misshapen dining room tables slash podcast analytics dude but dude was spelled with a lowercase d at the front two capital o's and back to small d but we did hire him and he did give us results of some kind he said that our audience is made up of kids 13 and a half and under and retired seniors exclusively So my advice, the advice on parenting that I wanted to give today, I'm giving it to the kids, I guess, but way, way, way in the future, because as cool as the movies and TV make parenting look, don't do it, kids, until you're old. Like, not too old, like the seniors out there. Those guys, you got to knock it off. No more kids. Father and son dueling diapers isn't good for anyone. But for future parents out there, here's my two cents. Please pick boring names for your kids. I don't want so-called cool parents naming their kids Lennon or Dylan. Name your kids John or Bob. Trust me, when all the kids in the class are named Velvetina, Shays Lounge, Presidente, and S, the most unique name will be Bob. It will be John or even Herman. Like I've noticed, there's an inverse corollary. Every Shays Lounge and S that I know, they're just boring Fortnite players eating Taco Bell and have Instagram accounts dedicated to bowel movements. But Bob's, Susie's, Jim's. By the way, hey Jim, if you're out there listening, do you have any kids? And no mathematical equations do not count. 
But Bob's and Jim's and Susie's, they have to go out there into the world and make a personality. They can't live off their name. So if you love today's focus, don't name your kid Hess or Hess. Name him Herman. Wow. As usual, I, I don't know what to do with any of that. Oh, but there is uh, one thing. You got the most horribly boring name in the world, and, and that didn't motivate you to go ahead and make some kind of personality because of it. No, you just uh, lived out its uh, lameness. Okay, well, oh yeah, oh, so I wanted to say one thing before we start. So if there's anything that you'd like us to talk about here at The Wisdom Of, you know, a novel, or an artwork, or a philosopher, or, or whatever, if you have any um, special request, just let us know by dropping us an email at info at wisdomofpod.com. All right, so uh, first, and as usual, a brief summary. So Siddhartha is a novel by the German writer Hermann Hesse. It was published in 1922, and actually it was inspired by Hesse's early trips to India. The story deals with the spiritual journey of a man named Siddhartha, and it takes place during the time of the Buddha. And in fact, it's partly based on the early life of the Buddha. The theme of the novel is the search for self-realization or self-discovery. Hess received the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1946. Oh, and um, if you like Hess, you might want to check out an earlier episode we did on one of his other novels, Journey to the East. There's, there's a lot to like. There's a, a lot to admire in Buddhism, I think, for what that's worth. The one thing that I like is the ability to be joked about. Like, excommunicated comedian Louis C.K., he said something... I don't know if he coined it or it's based on something he heard and he just whipped it out to shock and impress people. But he said something to the effect that if you can't take a joke about yourself, then I can't take you seriously. And if you only take yourself seriously, you can't help but be a joke. I imagine, and of course, I could be completely wrong, but I imagine a true Buddhist, upon being threatened with a joke, would just say, if I'm to be joked about, I'm to be joked about. Another thing that I think I like is I can't imagine they would freak out at the thought of comparison. Like, if I start out today saying Beavis and Butthead, if you look at just Beavis, not Butthead, but Beavis of Beavis and Butthead fame, he's actually quite similar to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Harold Christ. And now that I think about it, a lot of ways, Beavis is actually better. I don't know how well that would go over in the Bible Belt communities, but I really doubt there'll be many protests when you favorably compare Siddhartha to the big bad Buddha. So tell us, why do you like Beavis better than Jesus? These references, always from the, the 90s, it's like you're locked in time. Sad. Anyway, you, you did mention something about comparing Hesse's Siddhartha to the Buddha. Now, lots of people, when they read this book, they think that they're sort of meant to be synonymous, and that Hesse is essentially paralleling a traditional Buddhist message. But you know what? I'm not so sure about that. So, 
As much as Hess in his novel Siddhartha employs many Indian and Buddhist terms, and despite the fact that it of course takes place in ancient India, I want to say that there's still a sense that this novel doesn't really reflect Indian Buddhism. Or, or if it does, it's more of a, of a westernized kind of Buddhism. Now, what I mean by this is that the character Siddhartha is just, well, he's essentially just too world-loving. That's to say, he's too engrossed in and uh, passionate about the affairs of the world, from which he gets a lot of insight, actually. Now, the real Siddhartha, the one who becomes the, the Buddha, he wasn't like this. He was way more ascetic and disciplined. So again, the way that Hess depicts his, his main character isn't really the embodiment of Indian and Buddhist philosophy. And actually, you know, this makes some sense. Because I think Hess, even though he admired it, was a bit skeptical about Buddhism. I think he thought it was a bit too, too pure and a bit too spiritualized. I mean, if I remember correctly, he said something interesting somewhere. He said that Buddhism destroys the worldly without replacing it. Anyway, there are a couple of other really important differences between the views of Hesse's Siddhartha and actual Buddhist teaching. So one is that Hesse's Siddhartha is in his own way preoccupied with the self, which is of course a very Western thing. But of course, according to the actual Buddha, there absolutely is no self. He teaches the no-self. In other words, there is in humans, he says, no permanent, underlying substance that can be called the soul or the self. Now, you know, let me just pause on this a bit. Because I know it's become um, very fashionable, even in the West, to follow Buddhism here and claim that there is indeed no self that the self is just an illusion. But you know, I'm still not completely convinced. I mean, sure, the self is somewhat elusive or difficult to discern, but that doesn't necessarily mean it it doesn't exist. I don't know, maybe the self is something like an emergent phenomenon, and so not something that's discernible or explainable in terms of its parts. Um, for example... Think about the, the city of uh, Vancouver. I can't really point to, to Stanley Park or UBC or the Capilano Suspension Bridge and say, that's it right there, that's Vancouver. But notice that that doesn't mean Vancouver doesn't exist, right? Anyway, so back to what I was saying about the, the differences between the views of, of Hesse's Siddhartha and those of the, the Buddha. So, apart from this idea of the self, the other major difference between them, well, it has to do with love. So, let me explain this by first referring to a moment in the novel. So, in the story, when Siddhartha's Buddhist friend and monk, Govinda, asks him what the secret was to to his enlightenment and his, his radiance, Siddhartha's reply was this. The only thing that's important is to love the world and not despise it. Love is what's most important. But um, Govinda is, is a bit confused. 
He answers back, But Siddhartha, Buddha said love is an illusion and that we must refuse to bind ourselves to earthly love. But then um, Siddhartha says back to him, I won't deny that my words about love are in apparent contradiction to the teachings of the Buddha. Well, what are we to make of this? I mean, it seems that according to Hesse's Siddhartha, earthly love is at the heart of enlightenment. Now, why is this significant? Well, it's significant because according to the Buddhist tradition, Love in the form of attachment is something to be absolutely overcome. That's to say, according to the Buddhists, attachment, that is, the inability to practice or embrace detachment, is seen as the main obstacle towards a serene or enlightened life. Okay, now, I want to return to this issue of love and attachment in a moment. But first, I'd like to go back to the broader point I was making at the outset. Namely, that Hess, through Siddhartha, seems to be presenting a somewhat more joyous and passionate view of the fulfilled or enlightened life than traditional Buddhism does. You might say that it's almost as if he's offering a kind of corrective to traditional Buddhism. Now, I know what you might be thinking. You might be thinking, well, wait a second, isn't Buddhism all about joy and positivity? Well, I don't know about this. I mean, I think you could make an argument, although I'm not saying that Hess specifically does this, but I think you could make an argument that Buddhism's not quite as light or as optimistic as some make it out to be. I mean, for starters, think about the Buddhist notion of the wheel of life and its accompanying concept of reincarnation or rebirth. I don't know, there's something about this that's pretty weighty and not the most joyful of views. I mean, what this wheel of reincarnation seems to suggest is that the here and now of our existence, our particular life right now, is in some ways never good enough, and that we're forced to live again and again in this suboptimal world until we hopefully get things right and learn to, to not exist anymore. In other words, existence until we get off the wheel of life is a series of continuous, painful failures. Because life is suffering, the ideal is to eventually escape it. It's to not have to get back on the wheel of life. Now, to ultimately not want existence, that's kind of negative, isn't it? Actually, this makes me think of uh, Nietzsche. Even though he liked Buddhism better than Christianity, he still thought that Buddhism was in its orientation ultimately nihilistic. But, you know, let's deviate just slightly and get into a bit more detail with this idea that life is suffering. Because, of course, it's a, it's a central Buddhist belief. I mean, it serves as the foundation of what they call the Four Noble Truths. Oh, and uh, by the way, if you're interested in Buddhism and the Four Noble Truths, we did an episode on the Buddha a while back, so uh, check it out. Anyway, now I think part of the reason that the Buddhists believe that life is suffering is because fulfillment of desire is, 
Well, it's always followed by pain or emptiness or boredom. That's to say, whatever we desire always leaves us feeling worse once we assuage that desire. Or maybe another way of putting this is that the joy of attachment is always followed by the pain of loss. Actually, now let's get back to this related idea of attachment for a second, because it's also super important. So, what the Buddhists counsel, of course, is the idea of non-attachment. Now, part of what non-attachment says is that since everything is impermanent or transient, and so not in our control, then the wisest approach is to not attach ourselves too strongly to things, including, of course, others. This way, we ensure some serenity in the face of the, of the constant flux that is life. To attach ourselves to another is, in a way, to to become dependent and enslaved, and so to, to suffer the agitations that that will ultimately bring. But here's the thing. Why should we accept this binary, either-or approach to life? That's to say, why should it be the case that we're either slaves of attachment or we're tranquil, indifferent observers of the impermanence of things. Why can't we love with all our might, making ourselves vulnerable, and also know that it won't last and be okay with that? And I guess the even bigger question I have is why is the ultimate goal freedom from suffering? Isn't it worth it to have loved and lost? We think it's so bad to be dependent on another and to be passionately fixated on them. But you know what? I'd gladly suffer the agitations that come from this than secure my own personal tranquility. As Camus said, I'd rather die unreconciled. I'd rather have lived the full-blown, passionate life with all its beautiful and terrible markings than to cease desiring for the sake of freedom from suffering. I'd rather suffer like Tantalus than extinguish myself in Nirvana. Nope, I happen to like the wheel of life. And that's a ride I'll pay for any time. Cost be damned. Listening to the Wisdom of Podcast. If you want to know more about this topic or the podcast in general, visit wisdomofpod.com. And as usual, we love to read your questions and comments. Reach us at info at wisdomofpod.com or on Twitter at wisdom underscore pod. Our next episode. Turn get. <laughs> turn get. <laughs> turn get. <laughs> turn get. <laughs> turn get <laughs> Fathers and sons.